Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's Monday, June 26th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you this morning with information that is shaping America and the world. Over the past 48 hours, there was a remarkable mutiny of Russian mercenary fighters. To give you a brief summary of what happened, they abandoned their post in Ukraine on Friday, marched to a major Russian town on Saturday, took it over, and then they headed north towards Moscow to March for justice, as they said. Well, as they did, the leader of this rebel group promised to remove or even kill at least the Russian Minister of Defense, amongst others. In short, folks, it seemed like a coup d'etat. Well, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, he obviously feared the same. He delivered an emergency speech to the nation on Saturday morning, calling these rebel fighters a bunch of traitors. But then the mutiny ended. In fact, the leader of the group, a man with the last name of Prigozhin, he told his forces to go back to Ukraine, and then he fled to the neighboring country of Belarus like nothing really happened. But a lot happened, with global implications, including for folks like us, far from the mutiny. So this morning, we are going to talk about what exactly happened, why it happened, and what comes next. And I'll offer you a list of the top 10 things that I'm watching for and should be on your radar, too. So let's get to it. Our special brief this morning on the mutiny in Russia. And let's start with why you should care. I think that there are three reasons, folks. First, you have invested $113 billion in war aid to Ukraine, whether you like that or not. Second, Russia has nuclear weapons, and we need to be pretty watchful of events like these and places with those kinds of weaponry. Finally, Moscow is a key exporter of things like oil, wheat, and fertilizer, which means global prices are likely to get pretty bouncy and unpredictable this week and beyond, and that obviously impacts your gas tank and your grocery bills. So we definitely need to talk about what in the heck happened over the weekend. Now, to do so, we actually have to go back in time a bit. And what I'm about to share with you comes from reporting from media outlets in the U.S., Europe, Africa, the Middle East, Asia, plus a few conversations with some old friends of mine. So let's start with just over a year ago, just after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, right? Moscow sent to Kiev two types of forces, right? First, they sent in their regular military forces, and second, they sent in their mercenary forces. And that latter group, right, the mercenaries, they're better known as, you know, guns for hire, right? They are former Russian fighters who retired or quit. And then they started working for private Russian companies who, in turn, sold their military skills to, well, whoever wanted to buy them. If I could create an analogy, it's kind of like the U.S. company that used to be known as Blackwater, right? Lots of former U.S. military and intel guys who retired or quit 
And then they joined Blackwater, who provided their services to, well, whoever would buy them. Regardless, with that analogy in mind, one of those Russian mercenary companies uh, is actually called the Wagner Group. All right, it was started by a guy with the last name of Prigozhin, who had very close ties to Vladimir Putin. All right, and that is the group and that is the man that we are here to talk about today. So over the past year, Prigozhin's Wagner troops have been in Ukraine fighting, and that has created tensions with Russia's regular forces. And here's why. The Wagner guys have arguably made more progress in both attacking and defending territory in Ukraine as compared to those Russian militaries, the the regulars, right? And that led Wagner's leader, this Prigozhin, to make increasingly bold statements about his abilities and those of his troops, plus increasingly bold critiques and criticisms of Russian military leaders, especially those back in Moscow. Well, as Prigozhin was attacking these leaders with words and embarrassing them with online interviews, these Russian military leaders got increasingly angry, especially the Russian minister of defense, a guy with the last name of Shoigu, right? So that is the background, the brewing uh, conflict over the past year. That takes us to June 10th, just a couple weeks ago, a very important day. That day, Putin declared that all mercenary forces of fighting in Ukraine, like Wagner, had to sign employment contracts directly with the Ministry of Defense. Right, That meant that Wagner and its chief, Prigozhin, well, they were out of work and probably out of lifelines. In other words, Putin was growing tired of these fights between this mercenary chief, Prigozhin, and his own military chiefs, the Shoigu, and he put his foot down. Well, the next day, Just two weeks ago, the Wagner chief heard this and responded by saying to Putin, no, that he and his 50,000 fighters would not sign contracts with the Ministry of Defense. In other words, he told Putin to stuff it. Along with those Russian ministry chiefs like Shoigu, he told them all to stuff it. Well, the response to that was this. Last Friday, Prigozhin claims that the Russian military bombed his Wagner troops using attack helicopters and artillery, killing what he called a huge number of Russian troops. And that made Prigozhin snap. On Friday night and into Saturday, he and a number of his men marched into a key Russian city, which quickly surrendered. And then they turned north towards Moscow, promising to capture or kill the Minister of Defense, or at least to cause shock to the nation to change up the government. So folks, it's kind of a hard thing to imagine what a big deal this is, right? The audacity of it. So let me try to create an imperfect analogy. Imagine that the U.S. were to invade Mexico and we hired Blackwater to help us win the war. But then Blackwater gets frustrated. They decide they are very unhappy with the Pentagon. So they take over San Diego, And then they start marching to sack Washington, D.C., right? That is effectively what happened in Russia over the weekend. Well, nevertheless, getting back to Russia, as those Russian mercenaries were marching towards Moscow, Putin delivered an emergency address to the nation on TV, blasting what he called an armed mutiny. He said that the Russian men who were involved in this were traitors and they would be dealt with all as they were about 120 miles south of Moscow. And then, incredibly, it was just all over. It finished. 
Wagner's chief, Prigozhin, said that he had reached a deal with Putin, although indirectly, I should say, because it was actually brokered by the president of a nearby country called Belarus. Now, we don't have all of the details on this deal, but we do know a couple of things. First, Prigozhin is going to live for now in the country of Belarus and his troops, the Wagner troops, they all have to go back to Ukraine, which Prigozhin hilariously said is, quote, just part of the plan, end quote. Lastly, and this is important, Putin has agreed not to prosecute these Wagner men for their mutiny, and the Kremlin has said Putin will no longer be making any further statements on this matter. That is the latest out of Russia this morning. But to be clear, that is what has happened, which leaves us wondering what will happen next. Now, to help us answer that, I'm going to offer you all a list of 10 things that I'm watching for, all so that you can put these 10 things on your radars too. And not to worry, because if you can't, I'm going to be bringing you updates on each of these things each and every morning as I can on the right report so I can keep you posted. But before we dive into this top 10 list, let's actually take a quick break and listen to the following messages from our sponsoring partners with this reminder. If you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. Instead, it is a message coming to you from your podcast platform based on who they think you are. We'll be right back. Folks, there are two things that I speak a lot about on The Right Report. First, we live in a troubled world, especially with China and the prospect of war with Beijing. Second, I talk about America's obesity crisis and how important it is to find ways to exercise and eat well. Thankfully, I've got a solution for both. ArcSeedKits.com, a provider of high-quality heirloom seeds that give you food security and a healthy body. Now, some of you have asked me, Brian, why should I pay a premium for heirloom seeds when I can buy cheaper stuff from online outlets or big box stores? Well, ARC Seed Kits give you the type of seeds that our grandparents had, right? You can save seeds from each year's garden crop and replant them year after year. Plus, ARC Seed Kits have all of the variety you need, folks. Listen to this. Six types of beans, four types of squash, seven tomatoes, two corn, two peas. Woo! Don't even get me started on the root crops, like beets and rutabaga and carrots. So all in all, we're talking about 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables. And here's the best part. These seeds come from a family-owned farm in northern Michigan. No mystery seeds that you might get from an online or big box store. So do yourself a favor and buy the all-in-one seed kit. Go to arcseedkits.com. That's arc, like Noah's Ark, arcseedkits.com. Enter right as a promo code, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get 10% off your order. So be prepared and invest in food security. Go to arcseedkits.com today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special brief this morning, getting to our top 10 list of things to put on our radars following the remarkable mutiny this weekend out of Russia. And if you're so inclined, you might want to pull out your notebooks and scribble down a few notes from this top 10 list. Maybe even pull out a map, too, on your phones or computers or in your minds. So the first thing that I think we need to write down on our top 10 list is this. Commodities. So as I mentioned at the top of the brief this morning, Russia is a major supplier of oil, wheat, and fertilizer. 
As the Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning, oil prices are likely to get very bouncy and very unpredictable both today and throughout the next couple of weeks. And that has very uh, clear impacts on your pocketbooks, ladies and gentlemen. The same is true with wheat as well. And that's because of this. The Russian town that Wagner took over briefly called Rostov, it is quite important for both uh, agricultural products and other things in the region. So at a minimum, events this weekend will probably spook traders of wheat, although for how long and how much? Well, that all depends on what comes next. By the way, for both oil and wheat, price fluctuations will impact not only us in the U.S., but folks all around the world too. So for instance, as listeners probably recall, Russia is a vital exporter of wheat to lots of nations around the world, most especially poor countries in places like Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. So all in all, on our top of our list, number one, let's keep our eyes on developments in the world of commodities. Second, let's talk about this Wagner group, right? the chief of that group, Prigozhin, it's not clear what his role will be moving forward. Right? He managed to cut a deal to save his skin for now, but how long will that last? More importantly, what will become of his 50,000 men? Right? Will they sign new contracts with Russia's military as they're being told they must, or will they leave? And whatever they choose, that is going to have a very real impact on the war in Ukraine. And here's one of the reasons for why. Wagner's forces are mostly used for offensive purposes. So when Russia wants to launch an offensive uh, set of operations, they could be down 10 to 50,000 troops. And that is a material change, folks. So I'm going to be watching what happens to these guys. Third, let's talk about the morale of Russia's military, right? The regulars that have been fighting next to Wagner's troops. How is this mutiny? going to affect these Russian men and their will to fight, right? Because amongst other things, here's something else that you should know from over the weekend. Wagner forces shot down Russian helicopters and their crews, at least one helicopter, upwards of 13, at least based on reporting from the French media outlet AFP. But putting aside the morale hit to just this weekend, if we step back and look at the war more broadly, this war has been very tough on Russian troops, and that's because of this. They have lost upwards of 200,000 men, including 40,000 killed in action and 160,000 wounded. Right, That's around 10 times bigger than Moscow has admitted. But the soldiers know the truth. So the question is, how long will military personnel and their families tolerate this, especially after this embarrassing episode between the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Wagner Group? All right, fourth, let's move on from the Russian military morale to the Ukrainian military and its morale, right? It's, its will to fight. So, so far, this war in Ukraine has been absolutely brutal for them as well, right? With estimates of around 130,000 total casualties. So as they watch these events over the weekend inside of Russia, how does this change their will to fight in terms of the amount of risk that they are willing to take all to strike these Russian positions, right? Do they now think that, that Moscow is especially weak and confused? If so, perhaps they will ramp up a conflict starting as soon as this week. Which takes us to our fifth item on our top 10 watch list, 
President Zelensky of Ukraine. And here's why we need to talk about this guy. So as I briefed you all on previously, Zelensky has pursued increasingly aggressive attacks in this war, both inside and outside of Russia. And that's even after we and other Western partners have told him not to conduct those aggressive acts. So does Zelensky launch escalatory attacks in the next coming days? He might. In fact, just yesterday, he stated to local press that Russia is now especially weak. And remember, according to Zelensky and his mind and his logic, he knows that the West is going to back him regardless of what he does. And that is because, as Joe Biden and others often say to him, we will be with Zelensky for however long it takes. And speaking of Biden, that takes us to number six on our top 10 list. In case anybody has forgotten, Mr. Biden has long made clear that he wants to remove Putin from power, right? That is his ultimate goal. In fact, he said it last March in a speech in Poland when he said, quote, for God's sake, this man Putin cannot remain in power, end quote. A month later, his defense chief Lloyd Austin said pretty much the same thing, that the U.S. goal in Ukraine is to, quote, see Russia weakened, end quote. So the question remains, does this latest weekend mutiny full of drama change Biden's calculus of when or how he pushes for regime change in Moscow? We shall see. Next, let's talk about concern number seven that should be on our radars, and that is nuclear weapons. But to understand this one, let's actually pause and take a quick step back. So far in this brief, I have listed a bunch of different variables, right, from commodity prices that fund Russia's war to morale amongst various forces, plus leadership decisions amongst uh, folks in Kiev and Washington, D.C., obviously Zelensky and Biden. But what about Moscow? What is Putin's current state of mind? Because what just happened is that a mercenary leader who was supposed to be on his side just came within about 120 miles of the Kremlin, and Prigozhin was not there for tea and a chat, right? He was there to use force to make changes to the Russian government. And here's what's important. Not only did Putin see all of that, so too did his fellow countrymen and the world. So as he reflects on all of that, Putin has to realize this. If he is perceived by the Russian elites that he has lost control or lost the war in Ukraine, he's a dead man. Putin knows that, right? Russian history is full of examples of coups and revolutions when people lose faith in either their king or their president. So with that in his background, that is Putin's background in his mind, at what point does he use nuclear weapons? Probably tactical, all as a show of force to keep his grip on power. Now, to be clear, that wouldn't have to be bombing, you know, London or New York, right? He could launch a a tactical nuke over Kiev or the Black Sea, which would harm either a lot of people or none at all. But either way, how would the world react? For what it's worth, Biden has already said what he would do, quote, it would result in Armageddon, end quote. Well, that then spills into watch list item number eight, on our top 10 list, and that is China. So as listeners know, Beijing is arguably the single greatest supporter of Moscow, as seen by repeated statements of support, of course, by President Xi of China. 
In fact, he issued another one just yesterday. And that support by China, ladies and gentlemen, is critical. Obviously, the public statements are nice, but really the purchase of Russian goods and services are most important, right? Especially the purchase of Russian oil. So how did the events over the weekend change President Xi of China's secret views of both Russia and Putin? Because if Putin looks like he's going to be overthrown at some point, China is going to step in. And here's why. If you look at a map, you are going to see that China and Russia share a very long border. Obviously, President Xi does not want an unpredictable or even Western-backed government in Moscow. So he will respond. And then there's this little bit of history. China has very old territorial claims in most of Russia's Siberia. Now, it seems wildly unlikely, but could President Xi make a territorial grab if Moscow starts to crack apart? And if he does, who'd stop him? Again, very unlikely, but it is now something to think about. Speaking of how this could spill over into other parts of the world, let's talk about issue number nine on our top 10 list, and that is Africa and the Middle East. So for folks who are unaware, the Wagner Group has forces all throughout Africa and the Middle East, including the countries of Mali, Chad, Central African Republic, Sudan, Syria, and Libya. And that's because Moscow has long used Wagner as a proxy force to do its dirty work abroad. That's just one important example of that. Let's look at Libya, a provider of oil and gas to Europe, most especially to the country of Italy. Well, Wagner has key influence and control over parts of Libya's oil exports. They've got around 2,000 Wagner troops there, plus warplanes, attack helicopters, and air defense systems too. So we should ask this morning, how will this battle of Putin versus Wagner play out in places like Libya or all those other African regimes? What happens? Do Wagner troops sort of break off and become private armies all throughout Africa? Or is it possible for Putin and Moscow to somehow grab the leashes of these guys from thousands of miles away? And I'll tell you, this issue of Africa and the Middle East, well, I'll tell you, it could have very uh, clear impacts on you and your pocketbook. So, for instance, these Wagner guys could squeeze Libyan oil supplies to Europe, which could certainly affect global prices. Or there could be effects in other African countries, too, like Guinea, a major supplier of bauxite or aluminum, right? And Wagner is rumored to be in that country, too. And that, folks, takes us to our final item of concern in our top 10 list, and that is the launch of new mercenary groups, right? And let's start with something that you might not know. Wagner is not the only group out there of these Russian mercenary groups. There are others. There's one led by a group of uh, folks known as the Chechens, right? They are a brutal group of folks and very loyal to Vladimir Putin. Then there are other names that we should probably start to know about, like the Dawn Brigade. So... With this Wagner versus Putin fight, how will these other groups respond? How many of them will rise up in the vacuum that Wagner leaves behind? And what will their uh, ultimate loyalties be? Lots of important questions. So there you have it, folks. The top 10 list of things that at least this former CIA officer is following this morning. And now they're on your radars, too. So let's quickly recap this list of things that we should be thinking about and considering after a weekend of mutiny in Russia. So first, we've got this commodity 
price issue to watch. Of course, that affects your pocketbook and a lot of other people's too. Next, we need to think about the future of the Wagner Group, especially in Ukraine. Who does these offensive operations if 10 to 50,000 of them are suddenly gone? Third and fourth, we've got the issues of will to fight by both Ukrainian and Russian forces. How do they process this mutiny over the weekend with Putin and Russia now looking quite weak? Then, of course, we've got the variables of how Zelensky and Biden and Putin will each respond to this mutiny, including Mr. Putin and, if he feels especially vulnerable, the possible use of nuclear weapons. Now, depending on all that, we've got to watch how China responds too, plus the fallout in Africa and the Middle East with countries that obviously rely on Wagner fighters. And then we've got that final variable. If Wagner disappears, what about these new Russian mercenary groups? Do they rise out of the shadows? And if so, what does that look like? All right. Now, some of you at this point, after writing things down or just consuming this in your mind, are a little bit overwhelmed. Perhaps you're heading for the whiskey this morning, but have no fear. I am going to be watching all of these developments, and I'm going to bring you the updates just bit by bit as we start to more fully understand the fallout from this wild weekend of mutiny in Russia. And it's going to be fun. Scary, confusing, perhaps, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be a lot of information that you can use to help you understand your world and help shape it. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's take one more quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about my overall assessment of this weekend. So enjoy this next break, remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I don't endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go on this special brief. Well, what a weekend. The special brief today was filled with lots of facts and data, but did you notice not a lot of assessment, mostly just questions for us to think about and ponder. And the reason for that is this, right? This is a moment where very few people know exactly what's going on and what will happen next, including, by the way, the spy masters at the CIA right? It is a very unpredictable time. But there are a few things that I see as key takeaways. And I pivot now from facts and data to my opinion and analysis based on my own experiences with this target, Russia, plus conversations with my, some old friends, shall we say, and lots of reading. So I see two things. First, Putin has been weakened in the eyes of at least the Russian elites and his military. But saying that, we have to be careful, right? That doesn't mean a revolution is upon us or that Putin is wildly unpopular. It it is too soon to say that. Instead, this moment, this weekend means that for the first time since Putin came to power in 1999, he is not some supreme leader who can't be defeated or challenged. Again, that's because this relatively two-bit mercenary leader, Prigozhin, he actually marched troops towards Moscow, took a city, Rostov, and Putin didn't squish him like a bug. Instead, Putin made a deal with him. And let me say that differently. Putin made a deal with a guy that 24 hours earlier, he went on national TV in an emergency session to say that, well, Prigozhin's a traitor. And that was shocking to the Russian people and the world. And yet still, he made a deal with this Prigozhin. 
Right? So that means, ladies and gentlemen, that there is blood in the Russian political waters, right? For the first time in decades. It means that Putin and his toadies, frankly, are going to be pretty nervous and paranoid. They know that there are sets of blood in the Russian political waters. And that means in the immediate future, we could see, or at least it raises the possibility of some irrational behavior, such as using nuclear weapons as a demonstration of force and power to frighten away their adversaries, both foreign and domestic. Which takes me to my second key takeaway from this weekend's events. Folks, the longer that this war in Ukraine continues, the more we are likely to see these kinds of unpredictable and dangerous events. In fact, if you've listened to me for over a year now, I've I've harped on this repeatedly, that the longer that this war continues, the riskier it gets. And given the nuclear status of all the parties involved, that is bad. And it underlines the importance of a peace deal. But with blood in the Russian political waters, I don't think that peace is going to happen. There are too many people who've been waiting for decades to see this crack in Putin's armor. And that is why, in my view, this weekend means we have now entered into a much more dangerous and risky era. Right, And it is why, perhaps, I'll be grabbing my flask of whiskey shortly. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's, it's going to be coffee. Nobody wants a drunk Brian talking about this. Instead, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to keep doing what we have always done here on The Right Report and in the previous podcast. We are going to stick to sober facts and data with some smart analysis along the way. No matter what comes, that's what I'll be bringing to you. Promise. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.